Hi again, everybody. Dan Sixsmith back at you. Sales is king. How's it going? Um, welcome to the podcast if you're a new listener. And hit the subscribe button after this if you are interested in staying with us. We're growing. We're having fun. We're building followers. We're talking about all the key areas of what it takes to sell effectively today, how sales has changed, how salespeople need to adjust in order to hit their numbers and beat their numbers. So hit the subscribe button, tell your friends, and let's get into today's program. I recently had a chance to spend some time with Samantha McKenna, who is the new head of sales for LinkedIn's New York City mid-market and enterprise customers. And Sam is a rising star in the world of sales. She has grown from a number of different positions, more recently at On24, and then jumping to LinkedIn. In her past, she has always crushed her numbers. She has a great formula for success. We're going to talk about what sales execs need to do today to win the sales game, how sales has changed, how sales needs to raise their game, and the um, importance of social selling and what social selling means, what it doesn't mean, and how it can be used effectively in your sales game today. So let's get into a great interview with Sam McKenna of LinkedIn, and we'll catch you soon. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Sales is King. Dan Sixsmith, your host, excited for another great episode, another great interview. We've got Samantha McKenna with us today, who is the head of sales at LinkedIn for mid-market and enterprise acquisition out of the New York City market. Sam, welcome to the program. Happy to have you here. Good morning, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, um, like we kind of do um, with each of these episodes, we'll tackle a particular topic, um, and we usually bring on an expert who can help us with that. So today we're going to talk about social selling, and certainly Sam working at LinkedIn um, can give us a lot of good insight about that. But we always like to start with a little bit of background. Um, so tell us you know, your story a little bit. How did you get into sales, and what sort of path have you taken to get to LinkedIn? Yeah, great question. I, um, you know, I sort of fell into this, and I feel like a lot of people say say that about sales. I started in a role in account management and said I have no interest in sales. I think it's, um, you know, you inconvenience people, and I I don't like the idea of cold calling and things like that. And after two years of account management, I was thrown into direct sales, uh, which was the scariest thing on the planet, but ended up being the most natural fit ever for me. Um, I, uh, I worked through for two years and you know, broke some records and crushed my quota and did all the stuff that you're supposed to do when you're in sales and uh, just kept getting promoted and, and really hitting the grindstone to get to where I, I am now. Wow, that's terrific. So, um... Yeah, we do hear that quite a bit. And everybody that gets into sales initially, um, there's always some trepidation involved. And actually, I interviewed Jerry Acuff a while back, who's one of the top uh, sales experts today. And he, he contends that actually introverted people are more um, excel at sales today than extroverted people because they're just more curious. They're more interested in the other person. I was wondering what you think about that statement. 
You know, it's a, the, the whole dynamic of introversion and extroversion is really fascinating to me. And um, there's a great book by Susan Cain called Quiet. If you guys haven't read it yet, I would highly recommend it, especially if you're an extrovert. It's great to see what the introverted world is like. But I will say, um, it, they, they say typically that an introverted leader is better as a sales, sales leader because they listen more to their extroverted reps. Um, I am extremely extroverted. So I was like, oh, I hope my bosses never read that. Uh, but no, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting dynamic because introverts are, I think, great question askers. They are listeners. Um, you know, I think there's pros and cons to, to both sides of the coin, but it, it's definitely an interesting thing to discuss. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your early success. You know, what did you do um, to kind of, you know, crush the quota and kind of move up the ladder rapidly? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the one of the things you look for is the quickest path, right? It's like I talk to my reps all the time. We're looking at, at a way to make money as fast as we possibly can or hit our quota as fast as we possibly can and make as much money as we possibly can, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got to look for a way to do that. And putting in a lot of really long hours just isn't going to cut it. So we've got to look for ways to work smart. From my perspective, I um, when I was promoted, I was given the opportunity to carry over five of my accounts as an account manager in the sales. And so I said, okay, let me, let me use data to actually make a good decision instead of just taking the accounts that I think are the nicest. And um, I looked and saw that we had about uh, five of the top law firms working with us uh, at my previous company or two of my previous companies ago at this point. And I wondered why. So I took a minute to interview the CMOs of all of those law firms. And I said, why do you work with us? I, I got an understanding from their position of what our value proposition was, why they loved working with us, et cetera. And when they did that, um, it was very, very clear to me that I could build a business. So I basically verticalized myself and I built our law firm space from five law firms to 43 law firms by the time I left in about 24 months. So just look for a way to make an, a niche for myself, really understand the challenges that that niche was uh, going through. Uh, I make myself a subject matter expert and consultant to them versus just a salesperson. That's fantastic. I mean, it's such a great example of what people are preaching and espousing today. Um, you know, really understanding, you know, you took what was working and then you kind of put together a little business case, you know, you kind of reverse engineered it. You started to think about, you know, the challenges that you solve and you were able to totally, you know, explode that market. So that's tremendous. So then from there, um, what was the next stop for you? I think, you know, the next step is my previous company on 24, where I was for about six years. And I think the the thing that was really key to me when I got in there was one, I needed, needed to figure out the lay of the land and understand how to hit quota there. But I really took time uh, as a salesperson to think about what I wanted to do five years from now, 10 years from now. And I knew that leadership was um, it was a goal for me. I love to lead. I love to inspire people, bring people together for a common goal. So I had to really figure out how to do that. And I think when you're in sales, you live and breathe and die by your quota first, right? That's why what you're paid to do is why you're paid uh, a great amount of money and great amount of commission uh, to do, to do, you know, what's most important to a company, which is make sales. But so Beyond that, how do I prove my talent uh, so I can actually get into the leadership role that I'm looking for? So I took about 18 months to hit my stride, get into, you know, actually achieving my quota and then being a top performer. And then I thought, how do I overextend myself and show that I'm capable of 
basically hitting quota in my sleep while I do other things, right? So I, I took the initiative to build out programs for our company, like our mentorship program and our culture club, uh, which were things that enhanced our company's culture, uh, you know, reduced our ramp up time for new hires, increased the performance of new hires when they came on board, all things that, again, drove success for our bottom line, either by performance or by lack of attrition because we had a better culture. And by, by doing both, I proved myself to be, you know, a, a great asset to the organization and was able to continue getting promoted by doing those things. That's tremendous. Um, and again, another great um, lesson right? How do you go above and beyond what is, um, you know, uh, asked of you uh, in your role, right? And I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think about that if you, even if you have no aspirations for leadership or to continue moving up, right? I, I know a, tr a tremendous amount of friends who have no aspiration to do that. They say, I love just thinking about myself. All I want to do is make money and I love being in sales, which is fantastic. That's great too. But I think when you're in that role, taking on that idea of how can I do more for your prospective clients, for your existing clients, um, the idea of setting your bar higher and holding yourself to a higher standard has always been part of my, you know, the fibers of who I am. And it's like, it's what I like to also breathe in, into the reps that I manage and the teams that I manage, because that's what really sets you apart in the end, right? If you sell and you do a great job selling and then you do a great job maintaining those relationships afterwards, e even if your clients have moved on, you know, just an opportunity to even serve them in a better way with ideas and strategies afterwards, you will set yourself apart as such a different rep than what people are accustomed to dealing with. And I'll tell you, when those people move jobs, which they do about every two, two and a half years, you are going to be a call they make when they land in their new place and they're going to want to buy from you again. Without question. And, you know, you're hitting on a couple of great points. Certainly, we hear so much today about customer experience, how it's becoming the number one differentiator, right? So, you know, we in sales are leading the charge right out of the gates as to what that customer experience is going to be. Um, and we're showing the prospect, you know, what it's going to be like to work with our organization. So it's so important that we deliver that top-notch customer experience. The second part of what you said is, how do we differentiate from the thousands of reach-outs and emails and phone calls? And, you know, so you have to have a, a style of operating that sets you apart, that's going to have a prospect say, wow you know, this person is a leader. This is someone I want to listen to. This is somebody I want to work with. So really excellent couple of points there. So, okay, so you're doing great at On24. Um, you know, you're going above and beyond the call of duty. How did you get to LinkedIn? Yeah, also a great question. So I think, you know, about, uh, again, about 18 months ago, I um I, I just had a thought about a particular sales strategy and sales thought. I said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to share this. Uh, and so I put it up on LinkedIn as a post. And I, I posted content on LinkedIn. I was a massive advocate, massive evangelist of LinkedIn for, I don't know, the last five, seven years. You know, I, I would talk about LinkedIn to anybody that would listen to me at that point. And uh, I, uh, I decided to post something up there with my sales strategy. And one of my friends said, you need a hashtag. If you're going to start to post things, you need a hashtag. So I created this hashtag, Sam Sales. And it's up there if you want some riveting content to read over the weekend. But um, I, I posted this just on a whim the one time. And the very first time that I posted it, 
um, I got outreach from Sales Hacker, which if you guys are in sales and you don't know Sales Hacker, I highly encourage you to go and sign up for their blogs and their conferences. Uh, the team over there uh, is just tremendous. But Sales Hacker reached out and said, hey, do you want to write an article for us? And that was very um, humbling and exciting uh, for just one post. And then for some publication that I admire to reach out was amazing. But with that, I started to post pretty actively. Uh, so I started to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to share my, my message and my thoughts because I have been really successful in sales. And I think a lot of these tiny little things are, some are very obvious, some are not. But I think if I share them, um, they can help other people in sales. So I started to do that. And um, with that, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of likes and comments and leads were built. And I started to really even see more of the value of LinkedIn, became a champion and an evangelist for um, the product internally for Sales Navigator at my old company, uh, and then helped, uh, helped expand its presence and then helped expand its presence with you know, greater product and, and greater seats as well. And when that happened, uh, I went actually to do a customer testimonial uh, for them. And you know, one thing led to another. I, it wasn't it definitely wasn't a, a thing where I was looking for a position and, and, you know, tough, tough to leave my team behind as I love them so much. Um, but in terms of getting to sell this incredible technology and what LinkedIn is doing, it, it, it was just a, an offer that was too good to, to turn down. That's tr terrific. And again, some great, um, great pieces of advice there. Um, you know, you went ahead and established a personal brand right um this whole notion of sam sales which i think is great um and again you're putting it out there to just add value right um not to find a new job not to gain notoriety um but just to add value and to build community right um and and suddenly these additional doors opening and I think you, you really touched on it in terms of personal brand. And I, I think that's a, an important lesson for any sales rep to understand too. You know, personal brand was, I think I spoke on this topic six or seven times last year. And the, the idea is you, part of your personal brand is the consistency of what your prospects and your clients can expect from you, right? That it's that consistency. It's why you love American Express or the Four Seasons or things like that, because you know the service and the, the level of, um, the just service that you're going to get from them. So I think it's the same thing from a, a sales rep's perspective. In fact, you know, I was speaking to one of my reps about this yesterday um, in terms of the process flow of what clients go through when they engage with him from the responsiveness that, that he has to um, making sure he answers every single question, right? And it's so annoying when you ask three questions and receive a response with two answers instead of three. Um, but then also the, the consistency of what your level of effort looks like post-sale. And I think, mm. honestly, this is the most important part. It's so easy to get what you want, get the contract signed, and then to just instantly forget that prospect's name. But again, if you consistently follow up, send handwritten thank you notes, um, you know, even set a calendar reminder for 45 days, 90 days to check in and see how they're doing or, you know, still nurture them a little bit as a lead to show that you're still there and what you didn't really want was the contract signed, even though it really is what you wanted. Um, but it, I think there's a, there's a whole dynamic that, that happens between you and those, those clients um, if you set yourself and set that to be your brand. And again, consistency is that key. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um whatever type of content you're pushing out, you know, whether it's video or articles or whatever cadence, you know, you start to get um, people, you know, expecting it, right? So I started doing these tips of the day 
um, every day yeah. on, on video, which I'm up to number 62 and I'm trying to keep them all different, but it gets, you know, challenging sometimes. And I'm like, did I talk about this already? But, um, you know, another great point. So, you know, after the sale is so important because, you know, first of all, the level of effort it takes today, right, to, to get somebody over the finish line is enormous, right? You know, multiple calls, multiple Absolutely. makers, thousands of meetings, you know, more. So, but then there's, you know, when, when someone does pull the trigger, there is that kind of feeling of them saying, hmm, did I do the right thing here? You know, so if the rep can, you know, continue that experience, right? Reinforce that, yes, you made the right decision. And this is a long-term relationship. And I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I think that goes a long way um, to helping, you know, build that experience over time, keep that customer happy, as opposed to coming around a year later, maybe if it's a SaaS business, you haven't said a word to the customer or prospect, and they just reappear 12 months later and say, hey, you want to renew? You know, how's everything going? <laughs> exactly. Remember me? You know, I'm the guy that kind of you know, <laughs> flew into town and took your money and left, you know? So um, I really exactly. like All right. So let's talk a little bit now about um, social selling. And, and, and I want you to give us your impressions. Now, interesting story. How do we know each other? Um, I think <laughs> that I might have seen, you might have commented on something I did, or you might, we, we, I think we both commented on someone's post. And I happened to notice yeah. your uh, comment, and I liked it, and somehow, whatever. So here we are, and yeah, we're here we are. podcast together. So to me, I think it's, it, it kind of typifies what social business, social selling is all about today. But um, I wanted you to come on because obviously working at LinkedIn and obviously you know, doing such a great job of, of moving your career forward. Let's talk a little bit about your impressions about you know, social selling, you know, how do you define it? Uh, and then let's talk about what it takes to be successful in social selling. Yeah, again, great question. I think, you know, the, the idea of social selling, everybody talks about it. And I think that it's, it's really rare to find people that truly, truly understand how to leverage it and what it really means. And I think it's, you know, we're almost moving away from the word social selling and closer to modern selling, right? This is, this is what it takes. This isn't a, um, a thing that special people do anymore. This is this is sales these days. This is being a modern sales 2.0 person uh, if you really understand how to leverage LinkedIn, Twitter, all sorts of things. So I, I think social selling, um, first and foremost, is leveraging your network. Uh, you know, one of my uh, good friends, Jill Rowley, said yesterday, she commented on one of my posts and said, your network is your net worth. And I love that quote from her. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's a quote from somebody else, but I'll, I'll attribute it to her at the very least. And, and it really is true, right? Your, the depth of your network and the relationships that you maintain are exactly what will pay off for you in sales. So for instance, um, think about it this way, right? The power of a connection. Dan, if you and I, we know each other now, right? <clears throat> and you know me to be a um, relatively competent, articulate, nice person. I'll use that relative word and give myself some reprieve yeah, there. But that. if you, <laughs> um, let's say you knew uh, someone that we really, our team really wanted to get in front of, you know, an SVP of sales or a mm -hmm. chief uh, head of sales, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. If that person didn't know me, but knew you, I'm infinitely more likely to get an introduction to that person and get a meeting just by virtue of knowing you and asking mm -hmm. Dan, can you do me a favor and introduce us? 
right? Otherwise, I am one of 1,000 people that are fighting for this person's attention, especially at that level. So I think that's one of the core components of social selling is using your network, staying connected to people, connecting with new people that you meet um, so you can build your network out. But I think there's a, a really important part of that too is maintaining those relationships. Yes. Now, this doesn't mean that we're having you know lunch every single week because we only have so much time in the day, but it's thinking about how can you help that person before you even ask uh, for help back from them. And I think that's one of the critical components that we really miss today is that we're constantly just saying, help me, help me, help me, instead of saying, hang on, how can I help you first? What can I do for you? And this is an interesting kind of side note to um, networking events. A lot of people get very, very uncomfortable at networking events, especially our introverts that are great in sales. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the easiest icebreakers when you're there is thinking, just thinking about that other person that you're talking to and not yourself. So what do they do for a living? What are their goals? Who would they like to be introduced to? When you kind of take control of the conversation in that way and ask those questions and see how you can help, it will naturally, 99% of the time, flip back to you where that person will say, hey, they're offering to help me. How can I help them? And it seems much more organic and, and selfless than you just saying, help me. Um, does that make sense? Too much information yeah, no, no. there? <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. I think it's great. And you, you know, it's almost like you were listening to one of our episodes because I, I've been saying this quite a bit about, you know, networking. And we just did an episode um, prior to this on networking. And it's, you know, it's, it's, intimid it's an intimidating word for people, right? So it's like you think about networking is I'm going to walk into a crowded room full of people. I don't know anybody and no one's going to care about me, and I'm going to have to go into my spiel about what I need. And it really takes the pressure completely off. And if you think about it in any sales type of approach, if you, if you say, hey, I'm going to be trying to help this person, it really should remove any nerves from the situation at all, because you're really just going to try and help the other person, as opposed to saying, oh, how, how do I close this deal, or how am I going to get my name out there? You know? So, yeah. Um, you know, I love that. And then we talk about a book. Um, I don't know if you read Give and Take from Adam Grant, but that's a great book, right? It looks like. You I, I couldn't, couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I, I, every time I mention Adam Grant and someone new, I say, I add the caveat, my future husband, he just doesn't know it yet. And I'm sure his wife appreciates that as well. <laughs> I, I think he's fast, fascinating. And I, I think just incredible content from him all the time, whether you follow him on LinkedIn, whether you read his books or watch his TED Talks, just great. And he's so young. He's my age as well. Uh, I think 37 or 30, 38. I'm a, a hair younger than that. But yeah, no, it, it, yeah, he's the youngest tenured warden professor. Hit him up uh, on I, you know, I tried to get him yeah, on he's so great. program here, but I think he, I'm, uh, I'm not big enough for, for a author like him. <laughs> I was going to say, um, you know, on the networking front, so one of the, the things I do is I, I talk to an inordinate amount of lawyers, right? Over the last 10 years, I've worked with at thousands of attorneys and coaching and business development and technology, et cetera. And I, I think that the idea of networking um, is, is lost, you know, on a lot of lawyers. It makes them very, very nervous about how to do that. And it's exactly what you just said, right? If you go in, you go into a networking um, event and you just think, the goal of this is to figure out how I can help someone. It's not for me to give them my business card, tell them what practice group I'm in and you know, what clients I work with. It's forget all of that, make that secondary, you know, or, or even don't mention it at all, but think how can you help somebody? It's different. You've got a different goal um, there versus trying to get somebody to help you. You're helping them. And I think that really makes it far easier, um, especially for attorneys. 
uh, but certainly for everybody. Yeah, no, there's, there's no question um, about that. And really, <clears throat> you know, the other thing that I uncovered when you start to really deep dive a little bit on networking is the, 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 the networking, quote unquote, really starts um, or continues after you leave the event or the initial meeting. What you do with the connection is critical. It's not just, oh my God, I'm going to go to this meeting and I hope I'm going to sound smart. No, it's how do I stay engaged, right? And that's, you know, when you talk about your network, your network being your net worth, it's not necessarily how large it is, but how engaged is it, right? How many people are, you know, participating with you that you could, right, have an ongoing relationship with? Absolutely. And I think this is another key point um, and something that's been tremendous for my success. It's just follow through, right? The follow through that you're able to do either when you commit to a goal, when you say to someone at a networking event, I'll, you know, introduce you to so-and-so afterwards, or you just follow through with your prospective clients and say, I'll have this proposal to you by the end of the day and you do it. And even if you don't, you have something to them by the end of the day, which maybe sometimes they, sorry, I didn't get to this, but you'll have it the next morning. And, and I think that's, you, you think about that, you know, um, Fred Diamond and I, um, who runs the Institute for Sales Excellence here in Washington, D.C., we're talking about that, how often we open up our networks to people and say, please, you know, if you're looking for a job or if you need to be connected to people in, in this particular area, um, have a look at my LinkedIn network. Let me know how I can help you. And that one out of 100, follow up and follow through, right? For people who are tremendously connected and can help you. I think that's the other thing, too, with kind of looking back on my success at On24, uh, when I started a lot of these programs there, you know, there were I had, I had some old school naysayers uh, who said, we've tried this before, it's been done, it failed, good luck, which way to motivate a person just by telling them that, like, oh, okay, all right, great, well, now I'm, I'm really going to. Put my put my foot down the, the the gas pedal, but um, but I think it was that it was simply just the follow through and the commitment to doing it. You know, staying the course, staying organized, figuring out a way to do it one way or another, right? And for me, like back to the networking event idea, um, if I say I'm going to do something, I send myself an email, and it's just the subject line of what I'm going to do, and that email is unread until I do it. It may be a few days, but I do it at some point. That's I like that. I'm going to have to remember that. Because we have so much to do. And like, like you're saying, you know, do, doing what you say you're going to do is so critical to just establish, establishing yourself, that personal brand, you know, um, just the expectations of, of what, you know, people are going to expect from you. Um, so in terms of the social selling, um, let's talk about the different channels, right? So, um, you know, one of the challenges that I've, you know, continually come across is, so, you know, in today's hyper-connected world, we have prospects and they're out there and some of them prefer different mediums, right? You know, some people are phone talkers, some people are texters, some people hang out on Instagram and like to read DMs, you know, um, others like to look at, you know, videos. So, how do you make sense of that? And what do you tell your people to, how do you put a strategy together that's omni-channel? And do you have to reach out differently in each of these channels? Do you have to have a different message? Yeah, so I think that I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm probably gonna have a bit of an unpopular uh, opinion here, but it's, uh, here's my opinion. So I think, um, one, I, I, I really don't believe in the idea of uh, the reps 
cold calling. I think that if you are fortunate enough to have a sales development team, I think the sales development team should be responsible um, for making your cold calls. I, I think when reps do it, especially at the senior level, when they're working mid-market or especially enterprise accounts, I think it, it, it dilutes your value a little bit because mm -hmm. you should be closing deals and working deals, not looking for new deals. Although there is a ton of self-sourcing and prospecting that we're, we should be responsible for, which I can talk about too. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, I, I personally don't like the cold call. I personally, um, you know, in, in my previous role as an executive and then here leading a team, I don't like it because I'm so pressed for time. I'm traveling, I'm busy, I'm running all over the place, but it's a distraction. I don't know who's calling and it puts me on guard immediately. Um, that's just me. And I know everybody's got lots of different opinions, but cool calling about that, et cetera, but that's just me. Um, I think in terms of how we stand out and how we use the correct mediums to reach out, number one, the the value that you've got, I mean, I'm gonna plug Navigator, LinkedIn Navigator here a little bit, but the value that you get from a tool like Navigator that tells you um, the, the, the prospects that you're looking for, the, the updates that they have, what's happening in their industry, what's happening with their company, what's being published in the press on LinkedIn, et cetera, you've got an unbelievable amount of data to use. Now, that seems obvious, like, okay, well, I'm going to use this data and reach out to them. The the, the norm today is marketing automation, right? It's marketing automation, it's sales automation, we use sales ops, we use outreach, we use all of these platforms to just automate, 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 and we don't customize because we think that the qual quantity of emails that we send uh, will outpace the response if we then versus doing quality emails. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is, uh, quality will always trump quantity. So imagine again, you, you are trying to reach out to an SVP of sales, let's say even at a mid-market company, right? So someone, again, on the road, press for time, calendar full. There's no way for you to stand out unless they've got an immediate, immediate need for something that you provide. There's no way for you to stand out unless you write a custom message. And this is my big, my big platform. Number one, show me you know me. Um, and this isn't just looking at my profile and saying, you went to FSU, high five, okay, and then moving on. Um, look at something in my profile that's meaningful uh, and prove value to me in some way, right? In that introductory email, say, I'm sure that you struggle with this and don't make it like, you know, I'm sure you struggle hitting your pipeline or goals. We can help with that. Great, everybody can help with that. Give me something, you know, really deep there. That's an issue that I probably hit. And then the other thing is show me you know me through my subject line and your first sentence. There is nothing more important in your email than subject line first, first sentence next and you think about it either it's a pop-up in my outlook or it's on my phone when I see it on when I'm on the road and if your subject line says something like hey there's Samantha or Samantha and whatever the name of your company is it's an instant delete I'm not even looking at it you could have the most amazing offer like we're gonna send you a million dollars if you just respond to this email and I'd never see it so think about the show me you know me and your subject line and my key has always been to reference either a company that you work with that is my former employer, or if that's not available, a company that you work with that's a direct competitor to me or that competes for the same dollars that I compete with, right? Because if you send me an email and you say, you know, inquiry from On24's, I don't know, uh, marketing automation provider, something like that, you're going to catch my attention and you're going to make me think that maybe somebody at On24 referred you to talk to me because now I'm in a new job. And the second thing that I always say is that first sentence, my first sentence is always, hey, Dan, we have yet to be properly introduced, but I'm Sam McKenna. And that's what I'm seeing on my phone. That's what I'm seeing a pop-up. 
And again, what that tells me, when you pair that with your subject line and your first sentence, that tells me, again, there's a reason we should have been introduced. Maybe somebody, again, did refer us. So I'm at least opening that email. And then if you have something compelling in there, if you have something that can provide value, regardless, even if you can't, I'm probably going to respond because you just took the time to make it a quality email. And I'm going to take the time and extend the same courtesy back to you. No, I could talk about this forever. No, it won't. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, to me, Sam, this is the core of, you know, when we look at some of the stats and we see that only 55% of reps are making quota, I think this is like the, the crux of it, you know, because there's so much uh, junk out there. There's so much what I would consider to be laziness um, and just, you know, not making use of the tools that are available. So, <clears throat> you know, a couple of great things you mentioned. So certainly, you know, use these uh, tools like LinkedIn Navigator to do the research to properly target, you know, who should you be going after, who might have the problem, who's sharing content, who's sharing things that would lead you to believe that you might be able to help them. Um, and then when you do reach out, you know, um, have an understanding of what they might be going through and coming across as someone knowledgeable, someone that's a, you know, an, an, an influencer or someone with the expertise to help them. It's just, it's like night and day from just flinging something over the wall. So absolutely. that's number one, I, which I, I think is good. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, number one, for sure. And then I think the, the other thing that we really don't leverage and we don't look into is, um, I, again, probably, probably my, my favorite feature within LinkedIn Navigator, which is um, your, my reps will laugh and, and roll their eyes when they hear this, but it's, a, it's the idea of what we have got called Team Link. And this is, if you imagine, um, it's an opportunity for you to basically open up your network uh, within your company or gosh, even your VCs, your board members, et cetera, um, and say up to a thousand people and let us look at your network. So what this means is as a rep, when I go in, I can go and say, hey, I'm, I'm prospecting General Electric, let's say, right? Or any, sm any smaller company, any company under the sun. And I can go in and I can see via team link who is connected within my company, within that thousand people that we've opened it up to, who's connected to people at General Electric. And then I can even look and see specifically within the sales profile that I'm looking for. And that means seniority, that means titles, et cetera. So it's not you know, someone's connected to, you know, a marketing coordinator or something, not that I wouldn't want to speak to a marketing coordinator, um, but maybe someone in finance that's not my ideal target. It's specifically who I want to talk to. And again, you think about that. If, if I am reaching out to someone that I want to talk to via a common connection, I'm speeding up two things. I am speeding up um, the rate of introduction, how quickly I'm going to get that meeting and with less effort, and I'm speeding up the level of trust. So, Instead of maybe taking 21 different touches over six weeks to get in front of someone um, and them not trusting or knowing me at all when I finally do get a meeting with them, I may be taking two or three touches to do that in 10 business days. And then we can share some more stories about our common connection before we get started. It's, again, tremendous what the value that can do. So even if you can't leverage your own network, you can leverage your network within your organization via that. And I think that's so important for reps to look for. And, and instead, I find a lot of reps are just going to Google or, you know, which is great, right? But, but they're, that's where they're working hard. They're not working smart. Yeah, so do you think it's, you know, just that the leadership um, is not there yet, you know, in some of these companies? Um, 
because many of them hire, you know, younger, um, you know, uh, professionals and, and are they just not getting trained right? Do the, do, do the leaders not understand that there is this kind of tectonic shift in what it means to sell effectively today? Are they just not educated and not delivering that training? It's interesting. So I, I find similarities uh, here, just as I did at On24, where you talk to prospects who understand modern marketing, and then you talk to prospects who say, well, we, we don't need to do webinars because we just want to still do in-person networking sessions where we you know, pay $20,000 and have you know, some bunch of people show up and we hope to get one or two meetings versus doing something where we spend the same amount of money and it's scalable across the year. So I, I think we've got the same thing here. And I think where the training comes in is that um, sometimes the conversations we have regarding uh, Navigator, a lot of the conversations keep coming back to, um, but can you provide phone numbers and email addresses uh, if we buy Navigator? Well, no, but you don't need those anyway. Um, phone numbers, you might you know, need them, but you can actually use a, you know, a, a database to find those. What we're giving you is far more valuable, right? Insights, job change alerts, um, team link connections, et cetera. And, and I think it's, it's a lot of our, uh, I'm finding that some of our leadership rather still wants to stay in kind of their, their lane from, from when maybe even they were reps, right? Where you, you smile and dial, you go down a list and you call. Um, the idea of modern selling and using insights and quality details of somebody um, isn't what gets it, you know, what gets you a meeting is cold calling. So I think there's definitely some education that still has to be done there. It's like, those days are not necessarily gone, but the value of, of what you can use with the data uh, online is tremendously impactful. This isn't just about emails and phone numbers, you know, you can pay $5,000 and get a database from someone that, you know, is half accurate, which is very exciting. Um, but I, I think there's still some education that has to be done there, uh, depending on the industry and, and the leadership that we're talking to. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And we've been talking about, or I've been saying, and a couple of my guests have been agreeing that, you know, Sales itself is in the midst of digital disruption or transformation. Um, and we liken it to companies that have missed their moment to change, you know, whether it be Sports Authority, Toys R Us, Blockbuster. So I try and make the analogy with salespeople to say the profession of sales, folks, is um, in the midst of a huge change. And, you know, you have two paths. You can go through the transformation or you can go through the disruption and, you know, out the door and not existing anymore. So I really think that, you know, we as salespeople, and I think the reason why only 55% are making quota and why it's dropped over the last five or six years is that there's just not enough education, number one. But then, the, you know, the, the old issue of people are hesitant to embrace change. Right. You know, you get comfortable doing something and you're kind of like, hey, you know, but um, the way we effectively sell change is we talk about the pain of the status quo or not moving, you know, uh, not moving away from it. So I think we've just got to do a better job of trying to express to people that, hey, the way buyers want to buy today is much different <laughs> than the old days. And you have to give them what Completely. they want. Yeah, I, and I think too that you know you think about the idea of, of how how often we're missing quota, right? On, on national average, how often we're missing quota, and I think some of that can be attributed to the idea that our our expectations are too high. Um, the other side of that that I think is really important is that 
I, I don't see reps self-sourcing enough, right? And that might be just because they lack the right tools within their organization. But I think to be a successful rep, you always have to look at your landscape and your book of business with this idea in mind. I, I am solely responsible for the business that I bring in. If marketing brings me something or if my SDRs bring me something fantastic, that's icing on the cake. Um, but the, the only one that's responsible for actually hitting my quota is me, and I have to source my own leads. As a rep, no one understands the buyer's mentality, their behaviors, what they're looking for, et cetera, better than the rep, right? Marketing can do its very best to understand it. So your, can your SDRs, but no one brings quite the talent and the understanding that you do as an AE. So I would say if, if you have an opportunity to use specific tools, like look, look through Twitter, look through LinkedIn, use tools that you get through data nice, use tools like outreach and, and still customize your emails. If you can do that and net your own meetings, again, you'll be infinitely more successful and have a far higher chance of hitting quota. Um, I think you've got to work in that social selling aspect as well. Right. And we've got an unbelievable amount. I, I mean, I have so many case studies about social selling and how that's paid off um, to talk about where it's really, it's, it's such a critical part of your sales process these days. Yeah, and this, um, there were a couple of, and I know we're getting close to the end here, so we'll, we'll um, ask you one or, one or two more questions, but that uh, maps to a couple of the recent studies that came out on what the top sellers are doing right. Uh, the RAIN group was one, I think objective management group was the other, but create your own demand, create your own demand. So in addition to, hey, I've got the team and they're feeding me leads, but the top performers are saying, as you just said, okay, great, but I also have to be out there building pipe and leveraging my network and figuring out ways to, you know, to, to grow my business. So leveraging the social channels, leveraging Navigator and your relationships um, is absolutely key. So um, last question, just on, you know, cadence, what's your thought process on how, you know, so someone reaches out with a, you know, a valuable in-mail to somebody, you know, it doesn't go answered. Um, what's your thought process on the cadence and then the follow-up? You know, um, I know one of the tried and true things that don't work is, hey, did you get my last email? Hey, reply all. Uh, you know, why haven't you answered me? And there's some horrific ones that I received. But what's your, what's your thought process on that? Yeah, and I think, again, um, an unbelievable amount of research that shows, you know, between uh, Inside Sales and Harvard Business Review, and everybody has done its own research in terms of what works. So I, I think you also have to find what works for you um, and kind of stick with that cadence. What's worked for me um, is, is I had a pretty regimented schedule when I was a rep. And mine was, again, always quality emails. And I'm just, I'm from really reaching out to the people that, that matter and, and can help me get a foot, either foot in the door, decision maker, et cetera. Uh, but my cadence was always, let's start with a Monday. I would send a customized email on Monday, um, very short to the point. Here's why you should give me your time. Here's something about you that I know, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. That email then would be followed up on a Wednesday or a Thursday. And I would do a very quick, you know, Hey, Dan, um, did you have a chance to read my email below? I'd really love to speak to you. And I know that that's just a, hey, did you see my email note? But here's the really interesting thing. When we tracked this, we found that there was a 34% response, response rate, not even an open rate, not even anything, a response rate to that second email. And here's my theory on that. 
if I read your email, if you're prospecting me on a Monday morning and I read your email and I see it and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And while I'm reading your email, something from my boss, my CEO or prospect, whatever comes in, I'm instantly distracted. I've completely forgotten about you. And now I'm off to the next thing. So if in two or three days, you send me another email and you say, hey, Sam, did you happen to read this? I'm like, oh, that's right. And I'm instantly reminded I can answer you in 15, 20 seconds really quickly. And I'll respond either I have nothing for you or here's an instruction to someone or sure, I'd love to meet. Um, but let's say that that second email didn't work out. And by the way, 34% response rate, I'll take that all day, every day. Um, and then um, I would do another email that was very value driven. Uh, so there's no ask in that third email. This is just, hey, here's something specifically applicable to your position. This isn't a, here's a link to, you know, all of our webinars. Take a look and see if there's something you like. It's as the director of sales, this is something important to you. Have a look at this. Here's why I think it'll matter. Um, and then the fourth email is again, value driven. Um, no ask in there as well. It's just me, you know, popping in. Um, and then that's, I would stop that cadence at the fourth mark. Now, everyone that says, you know, it takes at least seven touches or 21 touches or 14 right. touches, et cetera, to touch someone is rolling their eyes at me and I get it. Um, but it, it worked for me. And if you didn't respond after the fourth email, I let you off the hook for about a month until I started my cadence again. And the, the key that I would say here too, is I, um, a lot of people start new emails when they do the reach out. I never do. I reply all every single time. I want you to see how much work I have put into getting your attention, how much quality work I've, I've put into getting in your, your attention. Um, mm -hmm. And not that I'm ending my emails with, have you been eaten by an alligator? God yeah, this forbid. This is the last time I'm reaching out, <laughs> you know, or something crazy like oh, that. Oh, that's, so, yeah. that's the worst. And if so, you write that, that's the last time you're reaching out, I'm like, good riddance, take care. Yeah, no, don't you. ever write that. Please, I wish you would have <laughs> sent that three weeks ago. You know what? Um, <laughs> but you know, this whole, this whole phenomenon is why it's so damn hard to break through because there's so much garbage cluttering up the inbox yep. nonsense you know but so the fourth email is is over what period of time would you be uh hitting them up is this over a couple of weeks or is this over um yeah so fourth email would be the third week so i would email monday morning i'd email again thursday that's my second email my third email would come the second week on Thursday, and my fourth email would come the third week on Thursday. And I'm, I'm a little bit old school, and I'm, again, going to get some eye rolls. I keep everything in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, yes, Salesforce is lovely, and Microsoft Dynamics is lovely. Um, hat tip to our parent company there. But I, I'm, I, that's just me. That's how I stay organized um, and what works for me. So I, I think, you know, you've got, again, have to do what works for you from an organizational standpoint. And are, you doing, are you doing just straight emails? Are you doing in-mails, both, or how's that work? Yeah, I, I almost exclusively use email. And then where I use an in-mail, and this is really key, I use an in-mail for, if I have a, my, like my dream title, right? So my dream title of a person, if they would reach out and say, We'd let, we're interested in having a conversation, you know, if that's, if that's a title that would get my heart racing, that's somewhere where I will use an in-mail as not a last resort, but as a, let, let me just try this angle and see if this will, if this will get me in front of someone, because it comes as a pop-up, a push notification on their phone. If they allow for that, it gets a little bit more attention than something else. And I will also say, um, we find it's very hit or miss if you find people that are active on Twitter. Um, but if you look at Twitter, I, I, we've heard from so many uh, different CMOs and CEOs that no one reaches out to them on Twitter. But if right. they've got a message on Twitter, they might respond because it's so 
so unused. Um, so 50-50 on whether you're going to find someone active there, but another great medium to just say, hey, and poke your head in right. in a right. value-driven way. And build a relationship. Okay, excellent. I know we're getting close, and I think we're at the time. So um, in addition to LinkedIn, Sam, how else do people uh, find you on social, Twitter handle or any other uh, yeah, I'm, you know, LinkedIn is where, where I am. So please feel free to connect with me uh, there. You can follow my hashtag, hashtag Sam sales. Um, and please, if you have questions, comments, um, insights, I, I would love, love your feedback. Um, so please feel free to reach out and connect and say hello. Excellent. Well, Sam McKenna, thank you so much for joining us. This was a great, great interview. A lot of terrific insights. We continue to wish you success. Uh, particularly in your new role at LinkedIn, and hopefully uh, we can have you back on in the future. You as well, Dan. Thanks so, so much for the time. Sure. Hang on one second, Sam. This is Dan signing off, and we'll talk to you again on Sales is King. Happy selling.